Thank you for listening to Value-Based Care Insights, a podcast by Lumina Health Partners. In this series, host Daniel J. Marino, managing partner of Lumina, talks to top experts and thought leaders in healthcare to help you navigate on the journey to value-based care in the ever-changing landscape of the industry. The goal of this series is to bring you disruptive success strategies by leveraging Lumina's experiences, stories, and insights from working with health professionals and organizations across the country. Before we get into today's episode, I'd like to invite you to leave us a review on Apple Podcasts and let us know what you think about the episode and any questions that are top of mind. Now let's get started. Hello, everyone. Welcome to another edition of Value-Based Care Insights. I'm your host, Daniel J. Marino. As we work with organizations across the country, many of them are still at a point where they're working through sort of the, both during the COVID activities and the post-COVID activities, getting their organization back to a financial position where they're sustainable and they're, they're thriving, similar to some of the activities that occurred, I guess, back in 2019 and before. As we all know, COVID has impacted healthcare organizations in a number of factors, certainly in revenue. Revenue had a lot of ebbs and flows depending upon how bad COVID was in your market, um, whether there was a, you know, a significant impact to elective procedures. I think at, at some point, certainly around April, May, June of, of 2020, pretty much the whole country shut down with, with elective procedures. And so that had a, a significant impact with revenues. Most organizations recovered, though, around July, August, as they started to introduce electives procedures back into their organization. But as you look at where organizations, healthcare organizations ended up in 2020 and even getting into 2021, their operating margins were still either below budget or certainly below where they were in 2019. So when you look at what CFOs have done to kind of reposition their institutions, most of them really focused on cost cutting. They focused on reducing FTEs. That's the easiest place to reduce costs. So incidentally, what what ended up happening was I think it it took a lot of the unnecessary FTEs out of the system and and forced all of us to do a lot more with less, which I think in hindsight, that level of disruption was actually probably a good thing for healthcare because it brought down the overall cost of care. But when you talk to CFOs, it really wasn't enough because many of the organizations still either have a negative operating margin or maybe a break-even operating margin or maybe 1% or 2%. And frankly, as we've said time and time again, you can't cut costs anymore to make up for those operating margins. So you have to focus on how you create either efficiencies in your organization, increase revenues in your organization, increase volume in your organization, in order to bring us back to a position of, of financial prosperity, if you will. And there are so many interesting factors now that have occurred as a result of COVID. One of which is certainly the way that payers are addressing a lot of the contract negotiations with healthcare providers. There's a lot of challenges that are occurring right now with 
the contract negotiations, the level of reimbursement, still a, a strong focus on, on fee-for-service. There's also a lot of focus on areas of, say, revenue cycle to make it more efficient, to make sure we're maximizing every dollar that we can get from our billing and collection procedures, as well as then looking at how we reduce cost, not only by reducing FTEs. You can't really cut FTEs anymore, maybe a little bit. But the fact of the matter is if we cut more FTEs, we're cutting services. You need to have resources there to provide the clinical service. But if we're still too expensive, how do we then start to reduce our cost structure? Again, to get our operating margins up to a point where we are seeing financial prosperity. So with that, I am really pleased today to have a colleague join us on the program, Steve Berger, someone who I've known for quite some time, a very strong former CFO, consultant, educator, worked with a number of CFOs and organizations over his career, brings a tremendous amount of insight to the program today. Steve, welcome. Very happy to have you. Thank you, Dan. Pleased to be here. So Steve, as I was talking, something resonated with me, and it's something I've been grappling with you know, for quite some time. I've talked to CFOs about this for, for some time, is you're starting to see organizations trying to get their financial position back in order. They're struggling with what is the right path? Do we focus on revenues? Do we focus on cutting expenses? Do we focus on volume? In your conversations with some of your colleagues, what are you hearing? What are you seeing? What what are some of the things that they're doing? Well, Dan, first of all, let me say that you're opening, given the issues that hospital executives need to face right now, not only the CFOs, but the CEOs, COOs, CNOs, all of the people at the leadership, what they are facing now in trying to create a sustainable bottom line is key. So you've brought up several issues already on the revenue side and on the expense side. Where do you go from here? Where do we go with this? Here's a way to think about it. Some hospitals need to do more. Some hospitals need to go on the same path they're on now, and others are already doing pretty darn good. Um, And so the answer to your overall question is it it needs to be broken apart because one size does not fit all. Uh, We've seen this. We've seen that there are health systems out there and some hospitals that have just done spectacularly well since the onset of COVID. And two key issues there are whether or not they were big enough initially to have investable assets so that they could invest it in the stock market, bond market, any other kinds of ways to increase returns off of money that they already were on their balance sheet. And secondly, the provider relief funds helped every single hospital, but for some hospitals that already were doing, had significant investment income, the provider relief funds really gave them some windfalls, and I'm using that term very specifically, some windfalls uh, over the past year. Now, Here's the point. Some hospitals and health systems had that. Some hospitals and health systems didn't have the investable incomes. They all received the relief funds. So 
it's hard to say specifically which hospitals we're looking to talk about today. We are looking to talk about, however, the hospitals that still need to reduce their expenses, increase their incomes in order to create a survival, a survivable bottom line. You're absolutely right. You know, a couple of weeks ago, you led a great webinar for CFOs and, and for other healthcare leaders called Hospital and Healthcare Systems COVID Financial Recovery as to who, what, where, when, and how of financial recovery. And I thought you did a great job, by the way. But one of the things that really resonated with me is when you talked about the revenue piece, that the focus on revenue and where we need to think about growth in revenue is really changing. And it's changing as a result of some of the activities that have occurred in COVID. Now, you know, as you know, and you've said it time and time again, when you think about margin, right, there's two pieces that contribute to margin, right? It's the revenue and it's the cost. So if we start right. thinking about the revenue, right, there's been a lot of changes. There's a lot of shifts that are impacting revenue. Site of service changes, right, going from acute to ambulatory. That was a result of COVID. The impact of telehealth services and virtual health, you know, that level of reimbursement, access, all a contributor as a result of COVID. So how do CFOs need to think about the revenue side differently post-COVID than they did pre-COVID? And, and how does that really come into their forecasting of their margin improvements? Well, so there are a number of ways that are still available to many organizations, many hospital organizations, when it comes to the revenue side. As you just said, we have to look at the reimbursements. That's one way to look at it. We have the FIFA service. So... As you know, there are many different kinds of reimbursements through the various payers. The fact that in 2021, we still have a, an enormous amount, more than a majority, I believe, is still under FIFA service is really has some amazing uh, iterations because I've been in the industry over 40 years. And when I came in back in the 70s, there were, everything was fee-for-service, but things have evolved. Certainly Medicare has helped to evolve those. But the fact is that when you have the, on the private side, the private insurance side, you still have these fee-for-service contracts, particularly on the ambulatory side, it makes you scratch your head and think, what is going on here? So payer contracting is significant. The ability to improve payer contracting, whether through clinically integrated networks or, as you said, ambulatory physician and telehealth reimbursements, those are important aspects. How much effort is being put into really understanding and working with the payers to do that? Um, I know that happens to be uh, something that Lumina focuses on as a company because it's so important and the opportunities to get higher reimbursements with the right data, the right information shared between the organization and the insurance companies can have a significant effect, positive effect. Oh, yeah, you're absolutely right. And, and I think having a clear understanding on what some of those drivers are of the contracting and, and how it's different, um, you know, the, the approaches that the payers are taking, you know, that's driving your reimbursement, that's driving 
your revenue. And, you know, like you said, it's, it's an, it's an important part of the equation. You know, when I, when I think then about the cost side, and I'd love to hear your thoughts on this, a number of the CFOs that I've talked to, and I probably spend a good, you know, five to 10 hours a week, just networking folks with folks around the country, you know, and, and one of the things that are, that CFOs are challenged with is they they've really have reduced FTEs, and you know sometimes in some cases they've over reduced FTEs, and they're having difficulties hiring them back to some of the labor shortage and and so forth. But one in particular had said to me in these last couple of weeks, Dan, we know we need to cut expenses, we're just not sure how, and reducing FTEs we don't believe is the way that it's going to get us there. What are your thoughts with that? Is is this true? Is there still is there still opportunities to reduce some overall resourcing FTEs, or should we be looking at cost cutting in other areas? Well, again, that's a very large question, but let me try to break it apart again. In hospitals, we have two kinds of employees. We have the hands-on employees, the clinical, the clinical staff, in other words, the nurses, the technicians, uh, the therapists, those who put hands on to the patients who work with the patients. Then we have the all the others, everyone else who's not clinical, who's not hands-on. The hands-on employee, the hands-on staff are the ones where we haven't tried to cut in COVID. We've tried to recruit in COVID. Uh, we know we've heard all about the burnout and everything else that involves around that. It's all true. So I'm certainly not an advocate of cutting more uh, staff on the hands-on side. Having said that, that's, again, a large statement. Every organization has to make its own determination. But where I would look on the labor side, as I've always said, is I would look to the non-hands-on, the non-clinical side. Is there there opportunities to still make improvements? In this case, the word improvement means cutting some staff. Is there opportunity? My answer overall would be yes, there is. Where? I don't know because I don't know the organization that might be looking at this, but there generally is. There is a lot of fixed costs in the organization that are inclu- that include um, labor. And some of these people may not be maximizing the organization's bottom line. So fixed labor costs, and even another way to look at it is so fixed indirect labor costs would be somewhere to take a look at. And you might say, well, I don't know, is there a lot there? And I would say, yeah, there's probably a lot there. Certainly a lot in terms of extra extra costs that could possibly be taken out of the system, but you have to look at it. So what I would do is I would recommend that the organization's actually go into their trial balance. Now we're getting a little bit (laughs) uh, accounting here, but there's no other way to do it. Go into your trial balance, look at every single line. In this case of labor, look at every single line of labor. And within that, is it, are there fixed costs, indirect, meaning indirect to patient care, are there fixed and indirect labor costs that look available for reduction? If need be, 
Every organization has to make its own determination, but you can't make the determination if you don't go in and look. Right. But, but I have to think that as you're thinking about cutting the non-clinical staff FTs, right? You know, you, you just don't have people sitting around, right? So these people, you know, they're doing something. In, in some cases, they're very, very busy. So if you're going to reduce some of the resource costs, you do need to do it in a way where you're still able to get the work done. And, and in some cases, I guess where I'm getting to is you need to put in some programs of operational efficiencies in order to get you there, right? So, so it's really that concept of doing more with less. And I think if you're able to improve your operating efficiencies, then you have that opportunity to reduce your FTs. Otherwise, I don't know how else you would do it. Well, you do need to be, so you need to be more efficient. You've said it. That's the point. Are hospitals really ultra-efficient? Why don't you pull a hundred CEOs and ask them, you know, what, how they would answer that. They'd probably, he'd probably maybe get 5% and said, yeah, ultra-efficient. It'd be a fantastic survey and question and answer. That's for sure. Well, there you go. So what is really going, yes, we need more efficiency. Um, And I'm not saying people are just sitting around, but what if you had five people in a, in a, five people in a department, all of whom are listed as, uh, indirect and fixed for their labor. Let's just say there are five. Uh, is there twenty percent of each of those people's uh, job that they're being inefficient in? Well, if that's the case, you can take one whole person out. <laughs> Sorry, but you can take one whole person out, and now you have four rather than five, and they're all one hundred percent efficient. That's right. about as simple as I can make it. Right. So the bottom line is, if you're really going to reduce your FTEs, you need to couple that with operating efficiency. So you're able to get the work done. You're working smarter, not harder. And you're able to then take some of the unnecessary redundant costs out of the system. That's the only way to do it. Right. And the very first way to really get to this is to make sure you have a very effective cost accounting system. It's cost. So how well do you really know your costs? I would argue most don't. I would not argue it. I would simply say most don't. Um, going back 20 years, it was said that maybe 10% of hospitals had a, uh, an effective cost accounting system. Perhaps 30% would say they had a cost accounting system. And I would put that at 10% had an effective one. Um, yeah, it's amazing, Steve. You know, we've been talking about cost accounting in healthcare for years. It sort of boggles my mind that in healthcare, in hospitals, the cost accounting systems aren't any better than, than they are. And, and I think it really does put a lot of CFOs at disadvantages as you're starting to think about how you want to track your costs going across the organization. It, it, it's, just, it, it's just amazing to me. Well, I, Dan, that could be a whole other podcast. Right. As you know, um, and just for the folks on the podcast, um, we built, uh, my company built and sold a, um, a cost accounting system as well as a budgeting monitoring reporting system. Uh, we don't do that anymore. But the point is, I, I did this, you know, right Here. there on the line. Right. And, I, and I had many clients and it was, it was amazing how many didn't have 
these kind of systems that would help them. There's your operating systems, your efficiency systems that you're talking about. How do you know? How do you know you're effective and efficient cost-wise? Just because you think you are doesn't mean you are. You have to spend the time and the little bit of money. You have to spend it to understand what's really happening. So it can be reported out to the managers, to the directors, to the executives. And, and, and you can use that then as a way to do more efficient and effective strategic planning into the future, both regular overall strategic planning and strategic financial planning. How do you know otherwise what's really going on? You're just guessing. That's all that's going on. You're just guessing. You're just guessing. Yep, you're absolutely right. I'm going to go back to something that you had said earlier, because I think this is an important point. You know, I I had the opportunity to talk to a chief medical officer this past week. And, you know, we we were talking about clinical efficiencies. So Mm -hmm. topic that I think probably is is spot on with with our conversation today. You know, and, and one of the things that he had said to me was that they are focusing on looking at incorporating clinical efficiencies into their care models mm-hmm. and with the goal of, of obviously producing better outcomes, but, but trying to reduce costs. And, and frankly, what he was talking about, Steve, was putting in place um, processes to identify unwarranted clinical variation, right? And reduce clinical variation. And one of the areas he was looking at was in the OR, perioperative services. Mm-hmm. And focusing this on a way to look at creating some streamlined approaches for physicians, for the staff, um, again, with the goal of creating stronger outcomes. And, you know, he's a chief medical officer. That's what he's primarily focusing on, but also as a, as a way of reducing costs. In your experience, you know, clinical variation seems like it's, it's a pretty big deal. Why aren't more organizations looking at this? Well, I can't tell you why they're not looking at it. It goes back to the same uh, argument I talked about just now about cost accounting. Why aren't they looking at clinical variation? There are returns that are dramatic, large returns, large returns on investment on clinical variation. Looking at how you're doing, uh, looking at how one one doctor is doing within a DRG, within an MDC, within a um, an ICD even, how are they doing versus their peers within the hospitals? You could have 10 doctors doing the same type of DRG. Nine of them are doing it, let's use the word efficiently. But the 10th doctor is spending 60, 80, 100% more on every single case. How do you know? How do you know that that's happening unless you have a clinical variation methodology coupled with a cost accounting system? If you don't have this, if you don't have both of these things, you are leaving a lot of dollars on the table. Now, we're not talking about cutting nurses here. We're not talking about cutting clinicians. We're not even talking about cutting the fixed indirect costs. This happens to be direct cost, but it's direct cost that's being wasted, literally wasted, because you don't know that there are individuals, in this case, physicians, perhaps, who are doing who are doing, let's call it surgeries, periop, who are doing surgeries. And one of them out of the 10 is way out of line. Nobody's calling that person on it because they don't know. There's no data around it to show it, to prove it. So we need these kinds of tools. There are a number of tool sets that should be um, 
acquired by the organizations, but there are also, it's also a leadership issue. Leadership has to make the call to acquire and then use two things. You first have to get it, then you have to use it. Right. Take the action, execute it, make it happen. It's a leadership issue to get it, do it, and improve the, by the way, this is not just improving the financial outcome. This is improving the clinical outcomes because that doctor that's yeah. taking 60, 80, 100% more time is most likely not having, is most likely having worse clinical outcomes, which is part of clinical variation. Well, and just to, to make the point in my conversation, when I was talking to the CMO, I said, well, what are you looking at? What are you starting with clinical variation reduction? They're looking at orthopedics. They're looking at joint replacement. And a couple of things he had told me, they have eight different joint replacement products that their surgeons use. Mm -hmm. There are five, he identified five processes of registering patients that were all very different depending upon how patients were coming into the system. There was, he had identified inconsistent surgical scheduling, inconsistent block time um, scheduling, all of which were, you know, you've got staff trying to manage this and bring this all together. You, you can't help but think on the surface that there's a tremendous amount of cost savings that you can get out of the system by creating maybe not a singles process, but certainly going from eight different processes down to three, right? Oh, and not to mention then the positive patient outcomes that you're going to get out of an initiative like this. It seems to me, I mean, that, that just kind of builds on your points right off the bat that having that cost accounting system, understanding where your cost drivers are going to be, putting in place a process to you know help um, streamline what you begin to do, that in and of itself is going to take costs right out of the system. Right. So, you know, to kind of sum up some of the cost side issues, We've talked about labor, but I want to focus more on the on the fixed indirect costs. We've talked about, I, and I've mentioned fixed costs, but it's not just fixed indirect. You can also look at supply chain uh, that are fixed and indirect supplies. But we've talked about cost again. We've talked about clinical variation. Two things we haven't yet talked about are supply chain, which is enormous, just enormous, and there are definite opportunities to pull supply costs out of the system. Uh, we won't have time today to talk about it, but it needs to be focused on. And one last thing that is not getting as much play, I think, as everything else is capital expenditures. Right. Uh, uh, and again, I think we're not gonna have enough time on this podcast, but we can always follow up on another one. The point is that between supply chain and capital expenditures, are we spending, are we going to spend the money now so that our future looks better? Or are we going to cut our capital spending now in order to survive this COVID issue? And, you know, we'll just wait a couple of more years. And how's that going to affect the years into the future? Well, in order to really answer both those questions, you need a much more effective strategic plan and strategic financial plan. Again, every hospital is doing a strategic plan because the Joint Commission requires it. Amazingly, however, not every hospital is doing strategic financial planning because it is not required specifically in the Joint Commission. So you have hospitals that really aren't looking into their future financially. Is there a cliff that they're going to fall off of? So these things need to be looked at and, we takes, and it takes leadership. 
What is the leadership doing around all these issues? That's why we're talking about these issues on the podcast today. There are many opportunities. We just need to grab them and use them. So if CFOs come to you today and they say, you know, Steve, we've we need a plan. We need to start to focus on improving our operating margin and and kind of um, you know, I either taking costs out of the system, increasing revenues. What advice would you give them of where to start? I would definitely have them start with um, both cost accounting and clinical variation. Um, you can do, um, you know, um, I know Lumina offers that kind of service. That's not that's not to be self-serving, but they do. You, we can get into this information. We can get into this idea of let's get some more tools. Let's get some better tools. You may have some tools that supposedly do this, but they're not getting the job done. Right. Yeah. We need to go there so that we have an understanding. If th- this is the baseline, as I've said, if you don't have this, you're just guessing. And it's still in the year 2021, in the midst of COVID, because we're still in the midst of COVID now, October of 2021, uh, many hospitals are, we're still guessing. We need the tools and the tools are available. They're not that expensive. Um, Some would even call them cheap for what they give you for information purposes so that you can do this planning. After all, leadership is planning. Planning is leadership. We need to be able to do this to, to improve our bottom lines, improve our clinical outcomes, improve our patient experiences. I would start with cost accounting and clinical variation. Do it and then use it. Take the action you need. After all, what the heck else is our job? But to Right. Do- That's a great point. That's a great point. And I think a couple of things that struck me, I mean, a lot of these organizations have the tools, you need to use them. And if you don't have the tools, you need to, to have a plan to, to build them and develop them. But the tools are only as good as the initiatives you put in place, right? I mean, that's what you said. You got you to gotta incorporate either some process enhancement, operational effectiveness programs like clinical variation reduction, which clearly will drive a positive return. But then third, and I love this point that you brought up, you need to have the leadership drive to do it, right? If all three of those things aren't there, then I, I think it's going to be difficult for organizations to get to a point of financial prosperity. And, you know, I, I think they're all going to be challenged. Oh, absolutely. And um, I would sum it up in this way uh, for the future. Some hospitals, some providers are doing better, some are doing worse. You know, which are you? Um, if you're not the ones, that, if you feel that you're not having getting enough bottom line, enough clinical outcomes, enough of this or that. Consider this, were the hospitals that you feel are doing better, were they smarter? Were they financially healthier to begin with? Were they in better locations or in milder outbreak areas? Did they involve uh, their clinicians better? And did they have better leadership than you? Think about all of those things. You can help in any way to improve any of those bullets I just mentioned. I'm going to say, though, it's up to the leaders of the providers right now to decide how, what, when, where, and how your organization will move itself to sustained actions using available and usable information 
and determinations to make the, the necessary changes. It's up to you, the leadership. We've given you some ideas of where to go with this. So my recommendation, do it, do it now. Yeah, that's great, Steve. I fully agree. And look, I, I think some of the things that you've mentioned, clearly great advice for finance leaders, for healthcare leaders, and it's tough, it's challenging, and it's not going to get any easier anytime soon. But I think organizations that take the initiative and, and can put together, like you mentioned, that financial strategic plan, but focusing on those three areas that you mentioned, that's what's going to get them there. That's that's what's going to help these organizations get to a point where they can continue to prosper and, and serve patients in their community, which is really what everybody wants to do. Totally agree. Well, I want to thank you for your time today. This was this was great, Steve. And as always, you know, you've been on the show a couple of times. Love to have you back again. Always enjoy and, and appreciate your insights. You you come at it from a a really refreshing perspective. So thank you for your time today. And again, love to have you back. Maybe we can dive into some of the cost accounting topics and even some of the supply chain topics, which I know are always top of mind with CFOs. Yep, absolutely. Be happy to do it. So in summary, Steve brought up some great points. Um, you know, it's it's not getting any easier for finance leaders, for, for healthcare leaders in general. We need to change our mindset, right? I guess you'd sort of call that a paradigm shift on how we need to think about the financial strategies, the financial initiatives within our organizations. But if you break it down to the most simplistic levels, I guess there's three areas that that I would focus on. And it's, you know, the tools that you have in place, use those tools, right? Steve said that, do your analysis, understand where your financial opportunities are. And then if you don't have all of the data, work towards building your systems to get the data that is meaningful and insightful for you. Second, you need to incorporate some processes, whether that's process that's going to support increasing your revenue, like understanding how to maximize your reimbursement from your payers or your revenue cycle reimbursement, or maybe it's on the cost side where you incorporate processes to you know, reduce clinical variation, take costs out of the system and improve patient outcomes through process development. All of those things are important on really driving some of your financial performance. But at the end of the day, I think the third element is critically important. Leaders cannot perform in a vacuum. You have to have the commitment from the full leadership team. And you have to incorporate physicians in that leadership structure. If you're able to do that, combined with the tools, combined with the data, combined with the process initiatives, I firmly believe that those are the key ingredients that are really going to help organizations and keep us all in a position where we're going to see financial prosperity going forward. Well, thanks everybody for their time today. Again, I'm Daniel Marino, Value-Based Care Insights. And until next time, have a great day. We want to thank you for listening to Value-Based Care Insights podcast by Lumina Health Partners. Lumina is your partner on a journey to value-based care, and all the pivots and challenges our industry faces daily. To learn more about us, visit us on LuminaHP.com. If you found value in today's conversation, subscribe to us on all major podcast platforms, including Apple and Spotify, and leave us feedback. Be sure to check out our show notes at LuminaHP.com insights. 
Join us again where we continue to take a deep dive into what lies ahead and invite conversations with some of our colleagues and industry thought leaders on new trends that are emerging and how we continue to navigate and thrive. Until then, have a great day and stay safe.